What's up, everybody? Great to see you. You feeling okay? You doing okay? Yeah? Fantastic. Um, hey, excited tonight. We are wrapping up a series we've been in for uh, four weeks now called Guaranteed Ways to Ruin Your Life. And if you haven't been with us, if this is your first time, what we did was we've been talking about uh, four things, four things that you should avoid, four things that you need to steer clear of because uh, I guarantee you and scripture guarantees you that they will ruin your life and we don't want you to ruin your life and we don't believe that God wants you to ruin your life. No, no, we want you to experience the fullness of life that Jesus died to give you. Fullness doesn't mean perfect and fullness doesn't mean that life is always going to go your way. But what we do believe is when we live out the principles of scripture that we get to walk in freedom. And so this series we've been navigating some of the things that promise to ruin your life. We talked about pride, we've talked about comparison, and we talked about detrimental friendships. And, uh, and if you've heard any of those, any of those messages, uh, I'd encourage you to, to catch up if you haven't. But we've gotten real. I've gotten vulnerable. It's kind of hard not to uh, when I talk about pride and comparison uh, because there isn't a soul that doesn't struggle with either. And so you got to hear about uh, your pastor's imperfections. And, uh, but we're trying to grow together. And so tonight I'm excited to, to continue and wrap up this series tonight. And I want to talk about one area of your life uh, that maybe you've never considered I want to talk about an area of your life that you certainly know about, but maybe you never put this kind of word around it. Um, and I want to talk about an area of your life that, man, if we are not careful um, to control uh, the, the amount of destruction it can lead in my life and in yours is devastating. Tonight, uh, as we conclude the series, the last thing that will ruin your life and will ruin mine if we let it is our appetites. Our appetites. Tonight, I want to talk to you about your appetite. I'm not talking about like Whole30, okay? Um, we all have appetites, and an appetite is a natural desire, a natural desire to satisfy a need. My natural desire to satisfy a need, your natural desire to satisfy a need. And we've all got, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different types of appetites that we have. We've all, to be human is to have appetites. Um, like there's an appetite for food, there's an appetite for sex, there's a lot of other ones. Um, there's one for food. There's another one for sex. It's about, that's a, no, I'm kidding. Um, there, there's a lot of appetites, right? And, and really though, food, food is one, right? We all have an appetite for food. Um, that's normal. You get hungry, you eat. Three hours later, you get hungry again. Uh, some of you guys go all day and you're just hungry. You got an appetite for food. Um, we do have an appetite for sex. There's this desire that we have for that, and that's a good thing. It's a God-given thing. Uh, we have an appetite, maybe you've never known this or thought about this, but you've got an appetite for progress and success. And for some people, these appetites are stronger than others, depending on who you are and your personality, but you have an appetite for progress and success. Like you wanna grow and you wanna get better and you wanna continue to develop into the best leader and, and Jesus follower that you can be. For some of you, this is at work. Like you wanna continue to, to get promotions and you wanna get a raise and you wanna hit this amount at work and you wanna make this much money and you wanna work this many hours and, and you've got goals about, man, I eventually wanna be the, the manager. I definitely wanna own this thing or I definitely wanna you know, be the account, whatever it is, right? We've got this appetite for, for progress and, and success. Uh, an appetite for love, that, that we desire um, connection with other people. We were created for that, that we have this. It's why uh, for so many of you, you hope to be married one day. You wanna experience that kind of love with another person. It's why friendships are so important to us because there's this unique love between friends. You've got an appetite for that. You've got an appetite for acceptance and belonging. Every single one of us, like we are drawn to places where we are accepted. 
We are drawn to places where we belong. It's, it's what we want. In fact, one of the greatest um, human needs is to be accepted and to find acceptance, which means one of the greatest human fears is to experience rejection. No one likes to be rejection. Reject, rejection. No one likes to be rejection. Um, or rejected, depending on how your, good your English is. You got an appetite for recognition and notoriety? That you, you know when you were growing up and it was always like, hey, mom, mom, look at me. Dad, dad, look at me. Look what I did, you know? That does not go away when you get older. It just looks a little bit different. Um, and, and the crazy thing, actually, believe it or not, if you're being totally honest with you, there's still a part of that with your parents. Here I am at 31 years old, and I still love when my dad says he's proud of me. And so whenever you have kids one day, just remember, you almost never outgrow that. But it also looks different because it's just beyond your parents, right? I mean, you want recognition at work and, and you want recognition for what you did or you want recognition in your fraternity or sorority for the thing that you led or for the thing that you're leading in your major or whatever organization you're a part of. You want, you want, you want to be known for that, right? There's something about that. For some of y'all, it's just like, no, nah, I was trying to be TikTok famous. Like, it's okay, you know? And, 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 and you've got an appetite for that and I hope you make it. I still, I don't know how to do TikTok. Um, I don't. I have the app to look at stuff, but I don't have an account. Um, so I don't know, maybe, 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 maybe I have an appetite for that. Maybe I'd be really good at it, I don't know. Real quick, the dances that everyone does, is there like a tutorial for that somewhere? Like how does everybody know what the dances are? I don't, I'm, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, later, another time, another time, another sermon. You've got an appetite, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, for responsibility and leadership. Like there's a, you know, for you, it's like when you get into a job or when you even, you, you've experienced this when you were growing up at home or if you are a part of some kind of organization and you're like, you know, one of the leaders of part of the organization, you're part of some kind of board, you want more responsibility. Like you want to show people that you can do more, carry more, you know, that, that, that's a healthy appetite. And then stuff, you got an appetite for stuff. We all kind of love stuff. For some of us, it's different than others, but I like, I like shoes. You know, you got an appetite for shoes, um, clothes. I told my wife, if she got me a pair of shoes every birthday, I would be happy. It's really easy. Like, it, it's, it's very simple. But we got an appetite for stuff. For some of you, man, you're like eyeing this car that you want. And I don't mean like in a self, sinful, materialistic way. I just mean like, yeah, man, I'm saving up because I, I really want to really get that car and it's going to work in my budget, whatever. We've got an appetite for stuff. We've all got these different types of appetites, and we're gonna talk in just a minute, but in and of themselves, they are not bad. In fact, you were created that way, but I just wanna go ahead and give you the tension right from the get-go and right off the bat and the reason why this conversation is so important. You ready? Either you will rule your appetites or they will rule you. Either you will rule your appetites or they will rule you. And just, just so you know where this is going, okay? Um, we believe that the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a Jesus father, lives inside of you. And so what we believe is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, no appetite has the power to rule you unless you let it. That the Holy Spirit inside of you and the Holy Spirit inside of me means that we have new capability and new power to put our appetites in check and to tell our appetites no. However, the Holy Spirit doesn't operate on autopilot. And so many of us walk around defeated. So many of us walk around allowing our appetites to rule us rather than us ruling them. And I am telling you, you don't want your appetites to rule you. Because when your appetites begin to rule you, you start heading in directions, you start heading in decisions 
that you never wanna make and ones that you ultimately regret and ones that will ruin your life because your appetites are powerful. That your appetites, they have the potential to derail your future. An uncontrollable appetite that you continually just bow down to can lead to an addiction. That an appetite in your life that you just don't even try to fight, that you just continually let win in your life, it can lead to a future failed marriage. In fact, there might be some of you in the room that your parents, they got a divorce because one of them had an appetite for something or someone outside of the marriage and it ruined the marriage. That's what appetites, out of control appetites can do. They can even ruin a marriage. And maybe you've seen that firsthand or been affected by what I'm telling you. An out of control appetite will ruin your future. And even for some of you, it will cause you to miss God's will for your life. Because these appetites are powerful. They're powerful. And they will lead you and I to destruction. And they will rule you if you let them or you can rule them because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So four things about these appetites, four things as we, before we jump in to where I wanna go in the scripture tonight, um, four things that you need to know about the appetites, and the first one is this, is that God created us with appetites, in and of themselves they are not bad, but sin broke and distorted them. That your appetites, even the ones that we just placed up here, like in and of themselves, they're not necessarily, they're not necessarily bad, they're not sinful, um, you're not, we all have appetites, they are a natural desire, but sin broke them and distorted them. That what sin did is it poisoned our desires. That sin broke our appetites so that we would desire things that are not of God. So that the things that, became, that were at once harmless became gods in our own life. That all of a sudden success became a god in your life. Stuff and things became a god in your life. Sex became a god in your life. That relationship or acceptance became a god in your life. And what started to happen is you started running everywhere to try to find it that you started worshiping the thing that you wanted more than anything else because that's what your appetite started to lead you to do. Sin broke and distorted our appetites, so much so that we would do anything, step on anyone, and even break the very heart of God to try to satisfy that desire. That appetites in and of themselves, they are not bad. God created you with them, even created appetites. I mean, remember when Adam and Eve he, he, he created Adam and he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so he brought a companion. He created that appetite for companionship. And then he told them, be fruitful and multiply. What do you think that meant? <laughs> he created an appetite right there in that moment. And Adam was so happy, okay? <laughs> and then he said, hey, I want you to eat of all of this, this, this fruit. There's just this one tree, but he created this, even that appetite. And then, I mean, you talk about the appetite of progress and, and creation and creativity. Just go look at how God created the world. So not in and of themselves bad, but sin distorted them and derailed them. The second thing you need to know about appetites. Appetites scream now and more. That's the two words that appetites know. Now and more. Right now, no matter what, and more, let me get more of that. Right now, no matter what it costs me, and more. Now and more. And come on, in a world of instant gratification, come here, we're the Netflix generation. We're the Uber Eats generation. We're the Sammer pays for Hulu premium so I don't have to watch three minutes of commercials generation. I still can't believe I pay an extra $4.99 for that a month, but I do, or whatever it is, you know? 
because we can't wait for anything. I heard Levi Lesko say this, and it was so funny. He said, we're the generation that burns the roof of our mouths on Hot Pockets. That junk cooked in two minutes? You can't wait two more to eat it? It's just, it's just our generation. It's just so true. Instant gratification. I want what I want, and I want it now. You can stream anything. You can get straight to the point. In our instant gratification... It's never been harder for me and you, for any generation, to delay gratification. It's never been harder to delay gratification. And as funny as it is to talk about Instagram and, and Netflix and, and whenever your phone buffers for 10 seconds, you know, it's like the world is crashing down. It's like you judge people with bad Wi-Fi, you know? It's like, never mind, I'll just turn my Wi-Fi off. My cellular's better than this, you know? It's just like... <laughs> and as funny as that is, I mean, it spills into everything, in this culture that we are growing up in of instant gratification is just fertile soil for your appetites that scream now and more. I want it now no matter what it costs me and I want more of it. In fact, that neurologically we, we learn about how to do this, that, that appetite is this craving and it, and it leads to you wanting something that's gonna create some kind of pleasure in your life. And there's this dopamine, this like pleasure drug in the pleasure center of your brain and dopamine starts going. When dopamine starts going, you start feeling pleasure. And what starts to happen is that when you get something, you eventually want more of it to experience more dopamine. So appetites will always scream now and more, now and more, more on that in a few minutes. The third thing that appetites, you need to know about them, this is kind of a three in one. You can't eliminate them, you don't outgrow them, and you shouldn't underestimate them. You can't eliminate them. You cannot pray away an appetite. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray into controlling an appetite and saying no to an appetite, but it's still gonna be there. I don't want you to naively think, okay, if I just pray long enough and hard enough, it's just going to go away. No, 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 that's not how appetites work. Like, like they're, they're, they're there, you can't eliminate them. You don't outgrow them. Like you don't mature out of an appetite. I, I still have these appetites. I still have appetites and I'm still in danger of allowing them to control me. So you don't outgrow them or mature them and it would be dangerous to underestimate them and act like it's not that big of a deal. In fact, and some of you maybe have experienced this, you, sh you come to TLR, or maybe I know a lot of you are at Passion, and you have these moments where you're worshiping, and, and, and it's like you're on this Jesus high, and you're like, man, I would do anything right now. Jesus, you know? <laughs> but then you go home that same night. You go back to your apartment, you go back to your house, and an appetite, creeps back in, to look at things you shouldn't look at, to drink things you shouldn't drink, to do things that you shouldn't do. But an hour ago, you were on this mountaintop experience. Why is that? Because you, you, you can't eliminate them. You don't outgrow them and you shouldn't underestimate them. And the fourth thing that I want you to know about appetites is this, is that they are never fully and finally satisfied. That's not how appetites work. Like them, you eat, three hours later, you're hungry again. Now, what I mean by this is that the lie that you and I, is so easy for us to believe, is that there are things out in this world that can just, that can just satisfy us. Okay, if I, if I just get him, I'm gonna be good. That's all I need, and I'm gonna be okay. If I just can get into that relationship, if I can just, if I can just experience that, if I can just feel that acceptance, if I can just control this one situation, 
Or even for you, um, man, if I could just feel good, if I can just forget everything and just feel good for just a moment, no matter what it costs me, all it takes is one time and then I'll just, I'll be good. I'll be fully and finally satisfied. But it's a lie because there is no thing or no one out there that's going to fully and finally satisfy you. In fact, it's only going to leave you wanting more. Your appetites, they're eventually going to come back. And so it's not so much about eliminating an appetite so that it's fully satisfied. It's about controlling that appetite and chilling that desire somewhere else. Here's a little preview towards someone else. So I wanna look at something that um, in, in a story, this narrative uh, in the book of Genesis that, that, that talks about this, this power of an appetite. And there's this principle in there that I wanna look at for just a few minutes ago. It'll be in Genesis chapter 25. And we're gonna look at the story of Jacob and Esau or one of the stories of Jacob and Esau. And if you grew up in church, you've heard of Jacob and Esau. They're these two twins. And if you don't know the story of Genesis, I'm gonna catch you up really, really quickly, okay? So God creates the world, Adam and Eve. That's awesome, they start having kids and stuff. And then in Genesis chapter 12, the nation of Israel does not exist yet. And so God shows up to this man named Abraham and he makes Abraham this promise. And he says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, that your offspring will be as, as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. The crazy thing is Abraham was really, really old and so was his wife. Like they are not having kids. I mean, she's barren, there's just no way. But God says, hey, Abraham, I promise you, I promise you, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. So he's like, okay. So eventually, the, it's, it's a, you need to go read it, it's incredible. Um, but Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they have a child and the child's name is Isaac. And so, I mean, defeats all the odds. It's a miracle of God. And so they have this son named Isaac. Isaac eventually meets this girl um, on Hinge and her name is Rebecca. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but he does meet this girl named Rebecca and they get married. And then Isaac and Rebecca have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau was the older twin. He came out first. And then Jacob, right behind, okay? And so Esau is the older one and they could not be more opposite. In fact, Genesis chapter 25, verse 27 tells us this, that the boys, they grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. That Esau was like this man's man, this like outdoorsy person. He loved to hunt. He was all about the risk. He was all about going out there and being impulsive and doing his thing. And Jacob was like me, okay? Staying at home, I'm comfortable by the fireplace, make a nice cup of tea, maybe cook dinner if I feel like it. I mean, you know, like, and, and Jacob actually is described as an even-tempered guy. And so they're totally opposite. In fact, Jacob really did love to cook. In some ways, like, he, he, he liked being at home. It was like a homemaker type of thing. Like, home ec was his favorite class in high school. So they could not be any more different. So we pick up, so a couple of verses later, we find out that once when, when Jacob was cooking some stew, he loved to cook stew. Esau came in from the open country famished. The man is hungry. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Now the Hebrew here, it's like an emphasis in the Hebrew. Like basically Esau is saying, let me gulp down some stew. Like just give me the pot. Let me gulp it down quick. Let me get something. I'm famished. Esau is being so dramatic right now. He's being so extra. He, he, he's hungry, 
famished is like, like, you know, he's hungry, but he's acting like he's about to die. He's freaking out. He's like, just give me whatever you got. Just let me get some of that stew. But Jacob's like, okay, hold on a second. Jacob understands. And if you've got a little brother or an older brother, you get this too, or a sister. The youngest sibling doesn't always have the upper hand on the older sibling, you know? Like rarely does the older sibling ask something of the younger sibling, that they need something from them. Usually it's the opposite. So Jacob's like, okay, hold on a second. You want something from me? Okay, let's see. I'm gonna try to get something out of this. Maybe you've had that experience with a younger brother or sister, you know, and they, they asked you for something and you're like, okay, let me see what I can get out of this. And so Jacob, Jacob says, okay, you can, you can have some stew. He said, but first, sell me your birthright. Yeah, I know. What? Isn't that so powerful? I'm just kidding. Um, you're like, what is, what is a birthright? Like, what? Like, I don't know. Like, what, this, is, this, is, this is huge. We don't talk about birthrights anymore, but this is, this is crazy. You know what a birthright was? A birthright was something given to the firstborn. And what a birthright meant was you, whenever your father passed away, you would receive at least double the inheritance of anybody else in your family. So he would get double the inheritance of his younger brother, Jacob. So the birthright meant possession. But it also meant that when his father passed, he would now become the leader of the family. Like he would be the head of the family. It would all go through him. So that would also mean the birthright gave somebody position. It also meant that whenever the father passed away, he would become the, the, the judge of the family. Like he would take over all judiciary responsibility, judiciary responsibility, meaning whenever there's a disagreement or where there was something where somebody had to make a decision, the one with the birthright was the one that ultimately decided. So it meant possession, it meant, uh, it meant uh, so it means, sorry, possession and power, power and position. I'm getting my, my P's mixed up, okay? But possession, double the inheritance. Position, you became the leader. And power, you got to make the decisions. But also, back then, it was very well known and believed that, hey, also the first, the one with the, the, the birthright, the firstborn, there was a special blessing that would come from God on their life. So you've gotta, and I know for us, we don't really understand this, but you've gotta understand. The birthright meant power, position, possession, and blessing. I mean, this was huge. This is like Esau's future. What is, this is just crazy. I mean, there's no way that Esau's gonna go for this. This is the most lopsided trade in the history of all trades. There's just no way. There's no way. There's no way that he would go for this. Jacob's like, I'm just gonna throw the kitchen sink at him and see what happens. There's no way in his right mind he would go for this, right? Esau responds. Look, I am about to die, he said. Drama queen. He walked in just fine. He was hunting. I'm about to die. This question, what good is the birthright to me? What kind of question is this? Esau, the birthright is everything to you. Back then there was nothing more important than position, power, Possession and blessing. I mean, this is crazy talk. The drama continues. I'm about to die. No, you are not. Here's what's happening. 
His appetite is beginning to do the talking. His appetite is beginning to do the reasoning. And Esau is no longer seeing the value in his birthright that is way more valuable than a bowl of stew. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But when your appetite is doing the talking, it rarely does. That Esau was living in the moment that he was not seeing the big picture. He was focused on the small picture. His appetite was doing the talking. It's why so oftentimes when we let our appetite do the talking, we do things that we're left thinking. What was I thinking? That didn't make any sense. It's because we were gonna be controlled by something. We were being controlled by an appetite that has been distorted and broken. Do you know who act like Esau is acting in the way that sometimes we act when it comes to our appetite? Doesn't make any sense like not seeing the big picture, living just in the moment right now. Toddlers act this way. This is how toddlers act. Do you know that toddlers, developmentally, it's impossible for them to think about how their decisions will impact later? Developmentally impossible. I don't blame them. Live your life, kid. Like, it's fine. You don't have to worry about the future. That's what mom and dad is for. But, 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 but here's the thing. You know this, that, that they just live in the moment. And they don't care. The world revolves around them and whatever they want, they get it. My daughter, I love her, but she's hitting that age. Uh, two mornings ago, I made her an awesome breakfast. Incredible breakfast. I made her some scrambled eggs. I put some whole milk in there. They were so fluffy. It was so good. And then I made her some toast, perfectly toasted, just on setting number three, because that's how Harper likes it. And I put, some, I put some butter on there. I mean, that junk was so tasty. Now, there's a rule with Harper. And don't give her her tangerines or any kind of fruit because she won't eat anything else. She'll only eat the fruit. So usually I let her eat her eggs in the bread and then as a dessert in the morning, oh my gosh, you get fruit. But I thought, you know what? She's 17 months. She's becoming an adult. I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna put it all on her plate and I'm gonna let her enjoy all of it like, like an adult. That, that makes a lot of sense. No, it was a terrible decision. Because you know what she did? She crushed those tangerines. Bro, she wasn't even chewing. She was like, I mean, she's just straight swallowing. I'm like, I'm gonna see those later. You know, like, I mean, just, just, just straight. So she finished them, hadn't touched her eggs. In fact, she picked up a piece of bread and dipped it in the tangerine juice. I mean, she, so she starts like, more. More, pointing to the point in the plate where the tangerines are. I'm like, okay, that was fast. I'll give you a few more. So I, I scoop in some more tangerines. Same thing. More, more. I'm like, Harper, no, you have to eat your eggs. She's like, uh. And I'm like, Harper, and this, I, wish, God, I wish I could, this is so exactly what happened. Harper, I need you to eat your eggs. Try your toast. And then you see your eggs? Yeah, if you eat those, I'll give you more tangerines. No. And she started throwing a fit. The toast, ground, eggs. I mean, she starts scraping it off the plate. She starts pointing and she's crying. And she, I mean, she is going insane. My wife thought something was wrong. I'm like, she's fine. She just wants tangerines. And I'm like, you're not getting your tangerines because that's too much natural sugar this early in the morning. Eat your eggs. I didn't yell that loud at her, but I said all of that to her. So I still can't yell at her because she's too cute. But she didn't stop. 
And so you know what? Breakfast ended. And I told Julie before I left for work, she's going to eat a big lunch today because all she had was some tangerines. This is all I want. Like, I can't see anything else. I'm not focusing on anything else. Like, I just want this right now. Why am I not getting this right now? Just give this to me right now. This is all that I want. That whenever we let appetites do the talking, it's like your two-year-old self comes and embodies your 21-year-old self and you start living like a toddler. That when I let my appetite do the talking, two-year-old Samer reincarnate back to the future or whatever, back to the whoever, and two-year-old Samer is now living out in a 31-year-old's body. That's what happens when you let appetites do the talking. And for Esau, the appetite was doing the talking. How could you ask the question, what good is my birthright? And so he does the unthinkable. Jacob, he says, swear to me. Swear to me first. It's like he doesn't believe it. He he's like, this can't be true. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau a bowl of lentil, or gave him some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The four words, the four verbs back to back to back here in this narrative structure implies to the, to the reader that it was a quick thing. No thinking, no reasoning, reflex. Didn't give it any careful thought. Sat down, ate, drank, got up, left. Boom, birthright gone. Didn't give it any thought, impulsive. Didn't think about what it was actually costing him, impulsive. Didn't think about his future, was thinking all about the now. And he gave his birthright to his little brother. Here's the, here's the crazy thing. I, I don't know how all this works, okay? I, there's a part of this where I don't fully understand. But Esau had no idea what he was giving up. And I'm not saying it would have been any different if Esau kept his birthright, but I just find this fascinating because Jacob then became the leader of the family. Uh, Jacob became the, the head of the family and Jacob would go on to have 12 sons. And those 12 sons would... Um, become the leaders of the, so they would make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually from those 12 tribes would make up this powerful nation of Israel. And eventually though, they would find themselves enslaved to Egypt. And eventually God was gonna show himself to this man named Moses. And nobody knew what God's name was. And God showed up to Moses to tell him that he was gonna lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And do you know how he introduced himself to Moses? He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That some 2,000 years later, there would be a baby who was born in a manger in Bethlehem who came from the lineage of Jacob and he came to save the world. In fact, in the very gospel of Matthew chapter one, when he talks about the lineage, Jacob is right there at the top. 
I don't know that it would have been any different, but I can't help but wonder if Esau only knew what he was giving away. The legacy, the future that he gave to his brother for a bowl of stew that he could not delay gratification to hold on and to hold off for a greater, a much, much greater future reward. Because of an appetite. So let me just ask you a question. What's your bowl of stew? What's your bowl of stew? Like what is that thing that you're ready to trade anything and everything for. You know what blows my mind about that story? Esau got up, ate, and he left. Three hours later, guess what? He was hungry again. What's your bowl of stew? Here's why I want you to identify your bowl of stew. Because I don't want you to trade. I don't want you to trade what you want most for what you want now. I don't want you to trade what you want most. I don't want you to trade what is ultimate for what you want now for just what is immediate. I don't want you to trade what you want most for what you want now. What is your bowl of stew? What are you about to trade for something that is far, far of greater value? Maybe even an unknown will of God, but I'm gonna bank on the unknown will of God for my life than for something temporary that's gonna be fleeting and not last very long. What's that bowl of stew? I mean, for some of you, For some of you, that appetite that's driving you is success, and so that bowl of stew is, I'm gonna take a shortcut. I'm gonna take some kind of shortcut. I'm gonna put my integrity on hold, and I'm gonna take some kind of shortcut to get to the top. I'm gonna get some kind of shortcut to make a better grade. For some of you, that bowl of stew is, because of that appetite of success is, I'm gonna cheat. I mean, look, I just know, when I was in college, I get it, people stole tests. And they handed out tests and you knew what was coming on the test beforehand. I mean, I knew, I, knew, I knew one guy that got kicked out of UGA because he got caught stealing a test. For some of you, you're ready to throw all of it away because you have this appetite for success that's been distorted by sin. What's your bowl of stew? Is it a shortcut, cheating? Is it a relationship? Like, is it a relationship that you know is toxic? Is it a relationship that you're only in because you want to feel accepted? Is, is it because you're only in it because you don't want to feel anything but a little bit of love even though it's costing you something, even though you're having to act out in ways that you don't wanna act, even though you're having to give yourself away in ways that you don't want to give yourself away but you're just not ready to be alone? What's your bowl of stew? Because what you ultimately want, companionship with somebody, I'm telling you, if, if, if you were to honestly ask yourself, is the person that I'm with, man, God, is this your best for me? Is this your will for me? And you have to wonder, the answer is probably no. And I would rather walk in singleness and try to figure out how to navigate that and, and, and trust, okay, God, either there is somebody for me or we're just gonna figure this out together and my singleness is gonna be what it is. But I don't want you to trade what you want most for what you want now. What's your bowl of stew? Could be sex. I get it, man. He, oh, she just looks so good. He looks so good. I just and, and maybe for you, Sam, it's just so old fashioned. Like the whole sex until marriage thing is just for my grandparents. Like the whole sex for like that's just so old fashioned. That's not a thing because sex is just physical. So I'm not trading anything. Sex is not just physical. No, no, no. It's way bigger and it's way better than just physical. 
And this is not just a pastor talking. Did you know science tells us it's more than just physical? That there's this love drug called oxytocin that bonds people together. That when a woman gives birth to a child, all of the pain that she feels, once the baby is born, oxytocin is released in the body and she immediately feels this connection and this bond with a child that is unlike anything else. And guess what? All that pain, it doesn't matter anymore. Did you know that same drug is released whenever you have sex or you're intimate with somebody? That you and I, it's way more than just physical. You're bonding yourself to somebody and for so many of you, you're bonding yourself to somebody that you have no intention of being forever bonded to. And for some of you, you're gonna end up more lonely than ever. And you know what you really want? And, and you might not believe me right now, but I just hope, hope that you can and maybe hope that you do, that what you really want, it's more than just sex. You want intimacy. And do you know what fuels intimacy? Exclusivity. Do you know what fuels romance? Exclusivity. Are you trading what you want now for what you want most? Maybe it's a, a habit. The habit that you've kept in the dark a habit that you're not telling anybody about. Maybe it's an addiction, like it's gotten to that point for you. And if that's the case, I hope you know too, I don't want you to try to pray away an addiction either. Man, would you please let us know if there is some kind of serious addiction because we wanna help. There are professionals that can help, but maybe it's an addiction. Maybe for you it's pornography. And I'm not just speaking to the guys in the room. But maybe for you it's like, man, I just gotta get this quick fix. I, I, just, I just wanna feel something. I wanna just kinda let the stress go. Maybe for you it's anxiety and so that helps. Maybe for you, um, you just kinda feel like life is out of control so this is a way for you to kinda control something, control what you feel and control what you see. But can I just tell you that not only is pornography not loving to the people that you're watching and you're funding an industry that's hurting people, but that's a sermon for another day. But did you also know that you're trading something whenever we watch pornography, whenever you watch pornography, did you know that what's fake will begin to deteriorate your desire for what's real? Did you know that the, the, the fake that you see on the screen, it's not real. That's not how it really is. So not only are you setting yourself up to be disappointed, but it will begin to literally deteriorate your desire for the real thing because you're so used to this. I don't want you to trade something now for, for what you want most. Maybe it's alcohol. Like you just, every time you touch it, it's not good for you. Every time you touch it, you don't remember what happened. Like every time you touch it, it does not go well for you. What's your bolus do? Whatever it is, whatever it is, I'm telling you, it's not worth what you want most. It's not worth the life that you want. It's not worth the story that you wanna tell. And it's not worth what God wants to do in your heart and through your life. It's not worth it. So I don't want you to trade what you want now for what you want most. And some of you are like, well, I don't know what God's got for me. Well, I'm gonna bet on God's future for my life before I bet on a fleeting pleasure of this world. So what do I want you to do? I wanna take a cue from the Apostle Paul who spoke about this very idea. He said this, he said, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. When you feed that appetite, when you let it control you, it's not going to go well for you. However, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Sow the spirit. I want you to walk by the spirit. I told you that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. 
And because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you, your appetite doesn't have to rule you. It does not have power over you unless you let it have power over you. But the Holy Spirit inside of you, it gives you the ability and the capability to say no to that appetite, to put that appetite in its place. So what does that look like? Four things. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. The first is this. I want you to surrender your life. I want you to surrender your life. Like, I want you to surrender your life. I want you to surrender your appetite. I want you to surrender your will, and I want you to live for Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to surrender your appetite to the Holy Spirit. And I know it's like, well, what does that mean? I want you to be attentive to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You know when the Holy Spirit pricks your conscience and you feel conviction, and you can either decide to listen to it or decide to ignore it? When that conviction comes, I want you to trust it. I don't want you to ignore it. I want you to trust it and I want you to lead in the direction that it's taking you. I want you to run. I want you to run in the direction that it's taking you. Isn't it so fascinating? Have you noticed that the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about, love, peace, joy, did you know that self-control is a fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit are things that do not come naturally to you and to me. You know what comes natural to you and to me is listening to our appetites. You know what doesn't? Saying no to our appetites. But as we continue to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, surrendering our lives and our wills to the Holy Spirit and choosing the best we can to live for God, guess what your life will begin to produce? Self-control. I want you to begin to making it a practice to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. I want you to surrender your life. Second, I want you to renew your mind. I want you to renew your mind. Paul talks about this all throughout the New Testament. Romans, Ephesians, it's everywhere. Renew your mind. It's like he understood this whole brain thing. You know, rather than conforming to the ways of this world, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Here's what renewing is. Write these three things down. Renewing is remembering. Renewing is replacing. And renewing is reframing. Renewing is remembering. Renewing is replacing. And renewing is reframing. Renewing is remembering God. Remembering who you are and whose you are. Renewing is remembering God's faithfulness to you, that he's not just trying to rip you off, he's trying to lead you to life. Remembering his goodness to you. Remembering the sacrifice that he gave for you. Renewing is also replacing, replacing the lies with the truth. Replacing the lies that your appetite wants to whisper, replacing the lies that we're so quick to believe with the truth. Do you know how to replace lies with the truth? You've gotta know the truth really, really well. So I want you to dive into the truth personally. I want you to spend time interacting with God's word and taking the truth, but I also want you to find truth in community with people that can speak into your life in Jesus' name. I want you to replace the lies with the truth, but renewing is also reframing. Reframing, by that I mean in that moment when your appetite wants you to focus on the small thing, I want you to step back, I want you to reframe and look at the big picture and think, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's screaming now and more, but I wanna think later and better. I want you to renew your mind. And then the last one, or not the last one, the third one, I want you to set boundaries. This is so helpful. I want you to set boundaries. I want you to be wise and I want you to get practical with this. Like for some of you, that boundary is a breakup. For some of you, that boundary, 
buy an alarm clock and stop putting the world at your fingertips by your nightstand when you are most vulnerable. Buy an alarm clock. Your phone does not have to wake you up in the morning. I can buy you one on Amazon. Be here tomorrow. For you, maybe it's giving permission to people in your life to ask you difficult questions. And I want you to give them permission because if you give them permission, that means you're not allowed to get defensive. Set a boundary. Maybe, maybe if you're in a relationship and it's a healthy one, but you guys are struggling, like I get that. Like, and I don't mean this insensitively. You should be struggling a little bit. Like I want you to be that attracted to each other. But don't be unwise with how you spend your time. If you know you struggle, stop spending time in your apartment and go have dates at Starbucks. Stop getting in the private where you know you're gonna get yourself in trouble and go out in public where you can't. Be wise about it. Get out of your apartment, get out of your room. And for some of you, man, you just need to decide to remove yourself from environments where you know there's just not gonna go well for you. You just know, I just can't go to that party. I just gotta stop hanging out with that crew. I just, I, just, I, just can't, I just can't be in that environment anymore. I want you to set boundaries. And then the last one, I want you to remember grace. I want you to remember grace. I know in that story with Jacob and Esau, it just kind of seemed a little harsh. Well, how, I mean, Esau, like, what, he doesn't get any grace? Here's what I want you to know is that that was old covenant and the way that, 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 that things operated back then were a little bit different, but we're on the other side of the cross now. And Jesus came to introduce something brand new and we are now living in the new covenant. We're not under the law, we're under grace. It's a new way that God is working on the other side of the cross. And so here's what you need to know is that you might've already traded for that bowl of stew. You need to know and hear me loud and clear, there is a grace that can redeem still. There is a grace that can restore still, that for some of you, you're thinking the story's already written, I've already messed it up, I've already traded this, I've already given that away, this appetite is just ruling in my heart and in my life, I've got no hope. No, 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 Jesus gives you hope. Because in that tomb when he was dead, he still had hope, because he knew on that third day, he was about to come back to life. So you need to know that no matter what your situation is or what your story is or what you've already traded for that bowl of stew, there's a grace that will restore you. There's a grace that can redeem you. There's a grace that will forgive you. There's a grace that will carry you. And there's a grace that wants to rewrite the rest of your future. So in the process, I want you to remember grace. That because of the cross, there's nothing that you could do to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for Jesus. And, and, and thank you that his love saved us, redeemed us. And thank you that because of his love, our story um, isn't over. And that our story can be rewritten so Father, I pray that you would give the, the students in this room the courage to stand up to that appetite by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of them. That no longer would students in this room be bound by some kind of habit or bound by some kind of addiction or bound by some kind of appetite that is ruling and wrecking their lives, but they would be able to walk in the freedom that you died to give them. For it is for freedom that you, through your son, that Christ set us free. So I pray that we would move forth in freedom in community, and in more than anything, leaning on and believing in the grace that is ours through Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you, and it's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray, amen.